listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Kind of a big week for us, right? You know, Easter week. It was also a big week because there was a concert in town this week. I don't know if any of you knew it. There you go. See, there's a couple of y'all out there. Bon Jovi came to Savannah. And so if you're a college student and you were calling home on Wednesday night and you're like, I cannot get a hold of mom and dad, where are they? Let me tell you where they were. Mom got the old ripped jeans out, somehow got into them, and we were down there living on a prayer together. We were taking some bad medicine. Uh, Some of you need to get on Spotify tonight and and find out these songs. We were jamming, like it was 1987, right? And it was awesome. Uh, And we were reminiscing and reliving and remembering our teen years. That's what we were doing, ripped jeans and all. And I think it's a requirement. If you are a Gen Xer, whether you like Bon Jovi or not, it's a rule. Bon Jovi comes to town, still alive. And by the way, is very much living on a prayer, okay? <laughs> his, his voice is definitely living on a prayer, but it didn't matter. There we were singing the three songs we knew, only three. It's a rule though. Well, you're Gen X, Bon Jovi comes to town, you go see Bon Jovi. Just like when Def Leppard comes to Jacksonville in July, Bill Fowler has to be a Def Leppard in July. And he will be. He will be there. It's a rule because it's just something about growing up. Whether you like John Bon Jovi, he wasn't even a huge John Bon Jovi fan, knew the three songs. But there's a rule. You got to go because you're reliving something. You're remembering something and you are celebrating something, right? And there's something powerful about remembering. And there's something powerful about reliving significant events. And what I want to say is this. It's not a great comparison, but what Bon Jovi is for Gen X, Easter is for all Christians. With a small, you know, there's a small group of people that are like John Bon Jovi fans, right? And, and when we hear that, we relive, we remember. But what Easter takes, it's not just one little generation, one little time. Easter is for all people of all time, and it is something that requires us to celebrate. Just like I'm required to go hear John Bon Jovi live, we are required to remember and celebrate because of what we look at today, what we remind ourselves of today. And so what I want to do very simply today is ask why. Okay, it's clear why I have to go and put on my Atari t-shirt, and I did, and go to John Bon Jovi. Why do we have to celebrate? What is the big deal? What is it that we are remembering and that we are reliving and we are reminiscing about this morning. That's what I want to talk about as we continue in our series uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Matthew 9. If you're a guest of ours, maybe you're here for a week and weekend, you're here visiting grandma, maybe this is your first time. We, uh, as a church, typically study through books of the Bible, and we've been going through the Gospel of Matthew, the very first book of the New Testament. And it's a, it's a book that is written specifically to the nation of Israel to basically show them that Jesus of Nazareth is their promised Messiah. And so Matthew starts with his origin story, and we have the virgin birth, and we have the Magi come, and then we have the Sermon on the Mount, the teaching of the king, and then we have miracles. We've been looking at miracles after miracles the last couple of weeks. We've seen a leper cleansed. We've seen a guy from a distance healed. We've seen the, the sea calmed. We've seen demons cast out. And where we pick up in our text today 
is Jesus has just done all those things and he's headed home. He's headed back to his home base. And and what what I'm gonna do is we're just gonna unpack this narrative, just 13 verses. I wanna show you three things why we have to celebrate. Why is Easter a big deal? Why do you gotta go to the concert, right? That's what we're gonna look at. So let me start in verse one of chapter nine, if I can get my clicker out of here. Yeah, here we go, there we go. All right, verse one. And after getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. So what you need to know is Matthew is usually pretty scant on details. He's big picture guy, summarizes things. Luke and Mark give us a very much more uh, more detailed picture of what's going on here. So Jesus is headed back to Capernaum. He's actually crashing at the apostle Peter's house. That's what we find out from Mark and Luke, that they are staying at Peter's house. And everybody hears this guy from Nazareth is back. He's back at Peter's house. And so the house is packed. I mean, people are coming. They're just coming and they're just coming and they're just coming. And when, you, when I say Peter's house, don't think American suburbia. Is it a 3-3? Is it a 4-3? Do they have a bonus room? What is, you know, is there a pull out back? You know, what's the yard look like? The houses in that day look something like this. Okay, this is a, a, a good artist rendering of, of the typical house a first century Jew would live in. Okay, in fact, there's been excavations in the area where Capernaum was, and the average house has like a one room, 15 by 15 room. Okay, so you're talking about, you know, maybe your dining room, maybe your den, maybe with an upstairs loft with a flat roof. And all, I mean, you just imagine all these people jam packed into this house. Jesus is in the corner. I mean, you're shoulder to shoulder, and it's smelling ripe. It's just, you, you can picture the scene, right? And it says that they brought, uh, uh, some people brought to him a paralytic, right? That's, that's Matthew summarizing. Again, this, this really an interesting picture that Mark and Luke kind of tell us what happened. So here's what happened in that little, that little statement. There's four dudes. They got a buddy. He's paralyzed. Can't move. We don't know if he's paralyzed from birth. We don't know if something happened, an accident, but he cannot move. He's a paralytic. And so they have to carry this guy around on like a cot. That's how he gets around. Right, which would, in that day, I mean, you can't work. Uh, there's no social security. There's no benefits. I mean, this, this guy's a life of begging, right? Everywhere he needs to eat, they got to carry him. He needs to go to the bathroom, they got to carry him. They got to go to bed, they got to carry him. That's his life. And so they hear that Jesus is there. They bring their, their buddy. We're taking him to Jesus. But there's a problem. They can't get near the house. I mean, it's, it's like the nine o'clock service. There was people outside before the eight o'clock service was done. Like they're waiting in line. That's what's going on. People cannot get into this house. It's jam-packed and no one's interested in moving for this guy. And they're like, we can't get, we can't get you into the house, dude. I'm sorry, it's right there. It's like 10 feet away, but we can't get you in. And one of the guys is like, hey, dude, I got an idea. Let's go on the roof. And their buddies are like, we haven't done that since we were teenagers. I know, it's gonna be awesome, right? And so they go up on this flat roof and they start digging. And these roofs would have been made of grass and clay and tiles. And so you can picture inside, here's Jesus, he's teaching, these people are asking questions, and they hear this boom, 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 like kids upstairs banging around upstairs. What in the world is going on up there? And then they hear some scratching, and all of a sudden some stuff starts falling, and one of the guys is like, what in the, what is going on? And all of a sudden there's a little light peeping through. And then you just see an eye sticking through, like, He's over on that side. We got to go over there. And they start digging. And, and, the whole, and at this point, the lesson's over, right? No one's listening to Jesus. Everyone's just watching. And the hole is getting bigger and bigger. And Peter's thinking, this is my roof. What's going on with my roof? 
And the hole's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And finally, these four guys lower their buddy right at the feet of Jesus. Right? That's what's happening in that little summary statement. Some people brought him a paralytic lying on a bed. And I love Jesus' response. It says, when he saw their faith, which is an interesting statement because how do you see faith? It's, it's not seemingly something you can see, but actually because their, act, their actions prove their faith because they have done everything they can within their power to get their buddy to Jesus's feet. And it says, when he saw their faith, he says three things. Number one, he says, take heart. It's, it's a Greek, it's a, it's a command literally to be courageous. Be courageous, son. Be encouraged, son. And then he calls him, my son, my child. He's not mad. This is not, Jesus is not like, I was in point two of my sermon. You interrupted me. Now I lost my train of thought, dude. Couldn't you wait? It's a, it's a term of endearment. And then the most important thing he says, your sins, and it's plural, all y'all, the guys on the roof, you, your sins are forgiven. Which we were really like, oh, that's awesome, man. Their sins are forgiven. That's great. But here's, here's the problem I have. Is that why they were there? I mean, did they go digging through a roof and all that rigmarole just to hear your sins are forgiven? Right? Is that, is that what they wanted? Really? Or did he want to walk? Did he want to get up? Did he want to live life? Did he want to be able to feel in his legs again? And this gets us back to why do we have to go to the concert? Why do we celebrate? What do we remember at Easter? And here's the first thing for us, is that in Easter, Jesus has dealt with our greatest need. Our greatest need. If you ask this guy, what's your greatest need? He'd be like, I need to walk. I want life. I don't want my mom taking me to the restroom anymore. I don't want, have to be begging at the gate. I want to live. I want to live normal. That's what he would have said. And some of you, if I ask you this morning, what's your greatest need? What's your biggest challenge right now? What, what are you going through? What are you wrestling in? Some of you are like, man, we, I got college loans. I got to pay them off. Some of you are like, I got to get a job. Some of you are like, I'm planning for a wedding. That's a, the that's a biggest need. Some of you are, are sick and you're like, I, 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 I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm going to the doctor. I'm going to an endocrinologist. I don't know what's going on. You, you, you list it out. I want to get married. I want to have kids. I want to, all these things, right? And those are legitimate needs. Those are legitimate things. But that is not your greatest need this morning. You can say, Bill, what's your greatest need? My greatest need, I need to grow. I need to hit my growth spurt. I'm still waiting. 48 years old this week. Haven't hit it yet. I'm waiting. Trusting God for that. What's your greatest need has nothing to do with any of those things. Your greatest need is that you are a sinner separated from God and you need forgiveness of sins. That is your greatest need. That is my greatest need, right? And what Easter does, it reminds us that Jesus coming and dying and raising from the dead that greatest need has been met. He said, how do you know? Let's see what happens next. Verse three, and I love this, okay? And Matthew's trying to draw you in. When you see that word behold, it's literally the Greek word see. So he's, he wants you to see this. See, some of the scribes, and these are the angry Albrai gods. These are the religious leaders. If you're not familiar with the Bible, scribes are just like Bible scholars. They're Old Testament Bible studs. They know the Old Testament. They're real religious. They keep all the rules. And they are saying to themselves, they're not saying this out loud. They're not like, hey, I have a question. This, this is internal, right? This, who does this guy think he is? This guy's, this, this guy's blasphemy. He can't, did he just say what he think he said? He can't say that, can he? Why? Because only God can forgive sins. That's what Luke and Mark said. Only God can forgive sins. Who is this guy? 
right? Only God can do that, which is exactly right. Bingo. You're right. Only God can forgive sin. You mean God who can maybe, I don't know, read your thoughts, which is exactly what Jesus does. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts. When you're in the room with the guy that can read your mind, you better make sure your mind is blank. Okay, if you're like right now, if you think I, maybe God give me supernatural power, some of you are thinking, I'm, I'm bored. I may know it. You don't know this, right? <laughs> but when you're in the room with the one who can read your mind, you're in trouble. And Jesus reads their mind and says, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? At that point, they're like, how did he know what we were thinking? And then he asks them a question. It's kind of a trick question. He says this, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? It's probably a pause, right? They want to think about that. Again, it's an important question. What is easier to say? Well, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? Why? Because you don't know if it's true or not. I mean, it can't be proved. It's, it's, you can't be substantiated, right? It's not, you can't take him to court and say his sins are forgiven, your honor, I, I can tell. There's no way to prove it. If I say rise and walk and the guy don't rise and walk, then I look like a moron. So I can, it's easier to say, son, your sins are forgiven. So he asked him, which one's easier, y'all? Which one's easier? But they didn't let him answer. He says, but that you may know that the son of man, and again, when he uses this title, we talked about this last week for those who are here. Son of man is not his way of saying like, yeah, I'm a dude like y'all. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, good, a good person. I'm a good human being. That's not what he's saying. Son of man is a messianic title of divinity right out of the Old Testament, which they know, like they're experts in the Old Testament. It's right out of Daniel chapter seven, where Daniel has a vision of the end of days, of the end of all things, the culmination. And it says this, I saw in the night visions... Uh, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. There it is. And he came to the ancient of days. Ancient of days is God the Father. And he was presented before the ancient of days. And the son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and languages should serve him, the son of man. And the son of man's dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And the son of man's kingdom will be one that is not destroyed. And when Jesus is saying, so that you may know the son of man, he's saying, that's me. The dominion, the kingdom, the authority, the power, the glory, that's me. And so get the idea. It's a really interesting the way it's phrased because he starts a sentence to the Pharisees and then he cuts it off in the middle. He says, so that you may know that the son of man has authority to forgive sins on earth. Stop. Brah, get up, walk, go home. And he does. He rose and he went home, which is fascinating for many reasons. Number one, the guy, his muscles, which have been atrophied, maybe from never being used, maybe from not walking in years, all of a sudden, swoop, strengthened. He gets up, he picks up. And here's what's even more interesting to me. Old boy goes home. He don't even stay around for the less of the sermon. He just leaves. He's out. Peter on the way out is like, You'll come back tomorrow, fix this. <laughs> yeah, you are. You can walk now. I know. Come on. You're coming back. And, and they see it and they are afraid. Why? Because they're in a 15 by 15 room with someone that they, they've never seen this before. And that's power and authority. But there's, there's a glorifying God piece too. They're like, this is, this is something divine. This is God. God is doing something. 
right? And this goes back to the point I said earlier. In Easter, we know our sins are forgiven. And it's easy for me to say, your sins are forgiven. Well, how do you know, Bill? How can you prove it? There's only one way. You know what the sign that your sins are forgiven is? It's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the resurrection. Everything hinges on the resurrection. All of Christianity, understand this, all of Christianity rests on that one event. Take away the resurrection, there is no Christianity. You are wasting your time. All that time you spent this morning trying to get your bow tie right and then you just gave up and put a clip on on, wasted. Why? Because without the resurrection, there is no forgiveness of sins. And if I was creating a religion, by the way, and trying to make it up, I would not make it so fickle that it could be broke down so simply, take away the resurrection, take away Christianity. But that's what God has done. Why? Because it is a true statement. It is a provable fact. Jesus rose from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, then our faith is futile and you're still in your sins. But in fact, he has been raised. So we say, how do I know? Because Jesus rose from the dead. He rose from the dead, right? All of it rests on that. And Easter reminds us, your sins are forgiven. It's forgiven. That's why he came. Jesus was not some mistaken martyr, some, oh, it was a shame he died. He wasn't just some good teacher who came and and taught some good things and healed some people miraculously and he was misunderstood. He came to die, period, end of story. If it was just about him being a nice guy and teaching, he could have said, hey, be nice, love each other, be kind, and floated back up to heaven and skipped the cross altogether. But he had to die. Why? For God to reconcile man, sinful man, to himself, the sins of man had to be paid for. So the Lamb of God took away the sins of the world. He was in the grave, and then the God, God the Father raised him, proving him and declaring him to be the Son of God in power. That's what happened, so that you could know that your sins are forgiven. That's, that's what was proclaimed at his birth. For unto you, the angels say, is born this day in the city of David a teacher, a healer, a prophet, a great leader, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Why a savior? Because we were lost and perishing without him. We needed a savior. And we were given one who died and rose again. So now death, Paul says, where's your victory? Where's your sting grave? There is none. Why? Because Jesus conquered sin. Jesus defeated Satan. Jesus defeated death. And that is why you got to go to the concert. You got to celebrate. I mean, your sin, what is the greatest sin that you've, that you've ever done? Some of you are like, oh, man, I didn't go to Georgia. I went to Auburn. That was the greatest sin I ever did for my family, right? I see you, Whip. I'm, I... What's the greatest sin? What is that thing that you, you're looking back at my college years? That failed marriage. That, that I stole money from this. I was a horrible mom. I, I had this relationship. It was immoral. I mean, fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how great your sin. In Christ, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed your transgressions from you. So the point is, how can you not go to the concert? 
How can you not celebrate? Your sin has been forgiven, right? The guilt, you don't need it. The shame, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We celebrate. We have to go to the concert. That's the first thing he says. Let's look at the next part, verse nine. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. I love this little verse. Uh, it's, this is Matthew, remember the gospel of Matthew? This is Matthew telling his story from the third person, which to me is weird, right? I would just write, and Jesus walked by and I was sitting at the tax booth and he said, follow me and I followed him. But he doesn't, he uses the third person. Uh, and and here, here's what's interesting. This is also found in the gospel of Luke. It's found in the gospel of Matthew. I mean, in Mark. Um, we don't know a lot about Matthew, Okay, we know at this point, Jesus has four disciples following him. He's gonna have 12, he's got four. James, John, Peter, Andrew. Those four are there. The rest of them, we don't know where they're at yet. But Matthew gets on the train here. And we know that his birth name on his birth certificate, his parents are like, what are we gonna call our son? They have a son and they call him Levi. That's his birth name. That's his given name, Levi. Okay, and since his name is Levi, we can rightly assume that he is from the tribe of what? Levi, right? Because if you're from the tribe of Zebulun or Issachar or Dan, you don't name your kid Levi, right? That's just not how it goes. So he's probably from the tribe of Levi. And if you know anything about the Old Testament, and you do if you've been coming here for a while, the, the tribe of Levi were the Levites. These are the ones who worked in the temple. These are the ones who worked in the synagogues. These became the priests. They, they had a life of ministry ahead. And so when his parents had a little baby boy and they said, we're going to name him Levi, they probably had hopes and dreams that old Levi would one day be working in the temple or working in the synagogue. That was their dreams. But when old Levi grew up, he said, I don't want to go to Bible college. I want the money. So he went into the tax business. And it wasn't because old Levi was just a, he wasn't good in PE like some of y'all, I know. I was, that's why I was a PE teacher, right? He, he wasn't, he was, oh, I'm real good at math. Maybe I should go into accounting. That's not how it worked back then, okay? To be this kind of tax collector, it says he was at a booth, uh, and history tells us that this kind of booth would have been right on the, on the outskirts of the city, and if you wanted to sell or trade in that city, you had to go through old Matthew. And, and to get that job, it wasn't just you're the best at math, you had to buy into a franchise. You actually had to outbid everybody else. Herod the Tetrarch or Rome would put it up. Okay, who wants to be the tax collector in Capernaum? And you would offer the most money and that would be given to you and that was your contract and Rome just wanted their minimum and you could do whatever else you wanted. So someone brings in all this grain and all these fish and all this stuff and you could say, okay, Rome wants $5, but I'm gonna take 10. Thank you very much. And because of that, they were despised. Because not only were they getting money for Rome, the enemy, the conquerors, they were seen as collaborators, but they were getting rich off the backs of their own people. Everyone else is struggling to pay their taxes and they're living life on the, high on the hog. So they were hated by Rome because they, just, they, were, they were Jews. They were hated by their own people because they're traitors. This guy's probably rejected by his parents because he was supposed to go off to Bible college and instead he's a traitor. That is Levi. And Jesus walks by Levi's tax booth, stops, looks over at him and says, follow me. And Mark and Luke tell us that he gets up immediately and he leaves everything and he follows. 
and leaving everything understand, that means that franchise is no longer his. He's walked away from his investment, from his livelihood, from his money, from his everything. And he follows. And I, I, I'm curious how these first few nights went. Because remember, Peter, James, John, Andrew, they're fishermen in that city, which means every time they sell fish in that city, who do they gotta go through? They gotta go to Maddie. Which means, guess who's got some of their money in his pocket? So I'm betting those first few nights were like, you better sleep lightly, brother. That's all I'm talking about. That's a, he's a new guy in the, in the fold. But here's what's fascinating to me about this. This, this is what I wanna kind of zoom in on. So Matthew... The name is Levi. In fact, Mark and Luke's gospel call him Levi. They don't call him Matthew. Why, where do we get that name? Most people, I think, rightly assume. Jesus had a habit of renaming his disciples, didn't he? So you got this guy named Simon, the son of John. He says, you are a rockhead. I'm calling you rock. You're Peter. He renames him, right? You're going to be a rock, but you also are a blockhead sometimes too, right? You're hard-headed. You're Peter. To the sons of Zebedee, James and John, they're real fired up. They got real fiery personalities at one point. They want to call th- th- thunder and fire from heaven on the city because they won't accept Jesus into the city. And he says, you guys are the sons of thunder. <laughs> You're the sons of thunder, right? I think Jesus gives Levi a new name. And his new name, you know what Matthew means? It means gift of God. How good is that? When the Savior sees this traitor, greedy tax collector. He doesn't see him as those. He says, you are a gift of God. And how good has Matthew been for the church for 2,000 years? We get his gospel. We get all his parables that he told. He becomes a missionary into Ethiopia, ends up dying there, taking the gospel to Northern Africa. He's been a gift. This is the second thing I want us to grasp today. All right, when Jesus forgives you of your sins, when he moves into your life, not only does he remove your sin, he makes us new. He makes us new. It's not what you were, it's what you're become. You were tax collector, you were traitor, you were greedy, you were gift of God. He sees you for what he is going to make you. That's what he does. And what Easter reminds us of is not only we're forgiven, we were made new. We were made new, we were born again in Jesus's words. If you knew me, 30 years ago, what how long am I? Yeah, 30 years ago. My nickname at the Citadel, Foulmouth Fowler. I've told you this before. Foulmouth Fowler. That's who I was. And I, that was me. And then I then I meet Christ. He walks by my tax booth when I'm 23 years old. I didn't have a, a PE teacher, but still. He walks by my PE closet. He says, follow me. Right? And all things change. Now, do I still sin? Yep. Do I still get in trouble with my mouth? I do. Sometimes more than others. But you know what? That's not who I am anymore. That's not who I am. Right? Why? Because if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. New things have come. I have been crucified with Christ. It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's the point. That's what we're reminded of. That's what we celebrate as we celebrate forgiveness of sins, newness of life. And I think some of you, you need to be reminded because here's what the enemy does, right? The enemy will tempt you to sin, whatever that sin is. And then he will say, you are a horrible fill in the blank. And what you need to be reminded of this morning is you're not 
your sin. You're not your divorce. You're not that, that immorality. You're not that addiction to that. You're not your anxiety. You're not your, that's not who you are. If you are in Christ, you are a child of the king. You are the son and daughter of the most high God. That is who you are. And when the enemy calls, when you, even when you do sin, John tells us we have an advocate with the father. Who? Jesus Christ, the righteous. So the enemy is hurling abuse. He is the accuser of the brethren. And it says, if your attorney steps in and says, your honor, this one is with me. He, she is mine. And they are righteous because they have my righteousness. And you need to be reminded, that's what Easter guarantees. So I don't know where you've been or what you've done or how great your sin is or how, how big your guilt is. If you are in Christ, you are free. And whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And you need to be reminded of it. And that is why, CBC, you have to go to the concert. And you got to get your Atari shirt on and your vans out and your headband. And you got to sing. And you got to rejoice. Because Jesus has forgiven us of our sins and he has made us new. What does it say in Revelation 21? Behold, I am making all things new. What does Paul say? Forgetting what lies behind. What lies behind for Paul? Legalism, pharisaicalism, murder. And I press on for the goal, for the prize of the upper call in Christ. That is what we remember. That is what we celebrate. And I'm going long, but that's all right, because there ain't another service after this. Sorry about that. One more thing. Verse 10. And Jesus reclined at the table in the house. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And so what we find out from Mark and Luke is this is Matthew's house. He's, he's having a big old festival at his house. He's followed Jesus. And now he's throwing a big old party at his house. And he has invited all his buddies, all the tax collectors, all the sinners, all the people that you would never hang out with, all of the outcasts. And they're all, he wants you to see it. He says, behold, this is a bunch of people right here. Right? He wants you to see it. And the reclining, this idea of reclining in that culture, it, it, it implies fellowship and trust and friendship. And when the Pharisees and the religious folks see that, they are hot. How in the world can he eat with them? In fact, but they don't have the courage to ask Jesus themselves, so they go to the rookies. It's kind of like, you know, if you have kids... They're going to go to the parent and ask permission to do something from the one that they think is going to be most likely to say yes, which is my wife uh, in our family, right? And that's what they do. They don't want to go to Jesus because they, they ain't got the courage to do it. So what do they do? They go to the disciples who have been there for like three weeks. So the Pharisees, they saw this and they go to the disciples. What is he doing? Why is he eating with them? And, and I love that Jesus doesn't read their mind here, but he's probably talking over here to Matthew and a couple of his tax collector friends and he sees Pharisee's over with the boys, and he's, he's listening. And he hears the question. He says, I'll answer that. You want me to answer that? I'll answer that question right now. He says this. He tells them a, a proverb of the day. Those who are, are well have no need of physician, but those who are sick. What's he saying? You get it. None of you this afternoon are like, hey, I think I'm going to go to the urgent care. Just hang out and watch some golf. That's fun, you know? Sit in the, sit in the lobby and just kind of get, you know, catch some COVID and, and, and just say hi to people, Right? You don't go to the ER and just be like, wow, I just wanted to see, you know, the artwork and see how nice it is in here. It's decorated well. Yeah, it's great. You know, this is nice. You don't do that. It's weird, right? It's, it's got kind of a funny story I shared with earlier. So when we first came to Savannah, 
Uh, and we're a small church. One of the elders' family and ours, we'd go out to lunch every Sunday after church. And this elder's parents uh, who live in town would, would go with us. And when they would go with us, they always wanted to go eat lunch at Candler Hospital in the cafeteria. <laughs> and so we would all, all of us, get our kids, you know, we're in Candler Hospital cafeteria. And if you're like, that's weird. Yes, it was so weird. <laughs> because I hate the hospital as it is. And so we're eating lunch. I mean, there's all these, out of all the restaurants in Savannah, we're in the Candler cafeteria. It's weird. You don't go to Candler unless you're sick, right? Unless you get surgery. And that's his point. He said, I'm hanging out with sinners. Why? Because they know they're sick. That's why. They get it. They see their need. Because this group of people he's with, y'all, no one's nice to them. Their parents aren't nice to them. The Jews aren't nice to them. The Romans aren't nice to them. No one has ever been kind. They can't even go into the temple. They're not welcome in the temple. But yet God the Son is sitting across, eating with them, answering their questions, laughing with them, enjoying their presence. Why? Because that's the kind of God he is. And so he tells these leaders, he says, go and learn this. Go and learn what this means. And he quotes from their Old Testament, the book of Hosea. Right, and the book of Hosea is a, is a, here's a summary of Hosea. Hosea is a prophet, God says, go marry a prostitute. He marries a prostitute, he marries her, and then she runs back into her prostitution, and he says, now go get your prostitute wife and bring her back, buy her back, and redeem her, and live with her. And it's supposed to picture how God has been faithful, and Israel is, is a prostitute, and runs away, and he keeps going, and rescuing, and redeeming her. And so he quotes from that book, and he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So I don't care about your religion. I don't care about your sacrifices and all your fasting and all your tithing. I don't, that's not what I'm after. I want mercy. Why? Because I am a God of mercy. I show mercy. And the reason why I'm with sinners is because they get their need for mercy and I lavish them in it. For I came not to call the righteous, but I come for sinners. That's why I'm here. And so Easter reminds us, we're forgiven of sins. He makes us new. Why? Because Jesus welcomes Sinners. He welcomes sinners. He draws near to sinners. He calls sinners. How, how close does he draw near? This is how close. That Paul teaches us, not only does he draw near, that he made him, God made him who knew no sin, actually become sin. He draws so near that he takes your adultery. He takes your lying. He takes your addiction. He takes your drunkenness. He takes your fill in the blank, disrespect, laziness, all that. He takes that on himself and he says, here's my righteousness. That is how close he draws near to sinners. That is what he does. But there's only, there's one prerequisite. If that's gonna be the case. Only one. And it's seen in the paralytic. You gotta see your need and you gotta come in faith. Does the paralytic know that he's sick? He does. Does he, does he believe? He does. And he has his immediate need. He's healed. And he has his greatest need met. He's forgiven of his sin. The question is this. Do you see your need? See, that's a problem. The problem in our culture, in Western Christianity, especially in the South, is so few people see their needs. They're like Men who are, you know, men will be sick and their wife will be like, you need to go to the doctor. And you'll be like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. I mean, your arm is severed from the elbow down. You're like, oh, I'm fine, I can use this one. It's just a flesh wound, right? I mean, that's men. That's some of you, right? This is why Jesus offers forgiveness. God so loved the world 
He offers forgiveness for all, but the road is narrow that leads to life and the load is broad that leads to destruction. And so many are on that road and so few are on this road. And the reason why is because some of y'all don't see your need because you're like, I'm fine. Why? Because you got two houses and four cars and you got your masters and you got money in the bank and you're pretty healthy. And if that's you, then Jesus ain't got nothing for you because you got to be sick to come to the great physician. This is why he starts the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom, right? Are you sick enough to come to the great physician and say, I need forgiveness. I need forgiveness, right? That's, you got to see your need and you got to believe, right? There's, there's three types of people in this room, three types of people. First type, this is your story and this is why you're here. And this is why you dressed up and this is why you celebrate. And my, the only response for you is, man, rejoice. You are loved by God, not because of anything you've done, because of everything he's done. You are forgiven of your sins. Not because of me, not because you come to church, not because you tied a bow tie, because Jesus died for you and rose again. And, for, and your response is celebrate, is sing. And I know you can. I heard a bunch of, uh, of Gen Xers singing Living on a Prayer louder than the doxology on Wednesday night. So I know you can do it, right? You're, that's, your, that's your application. Go and tell what the Lord has done for you. That's your application. But some of you this morning, you're Matthew and you're sitting at your tax booth and life is pretty good. You got a good job, you got a good family, you got some friends, right? And, and you got to come to the point where you, are you, and Jesus is saying to you this morning, he's telling you, I want you to follow me. He's using a broken five foot six preacher to tell you, but he sent me to tell you, he wants you to follow. He wants to forgive you of your sins and he wants you to find new life in him. The question is, will you do it? Do you see your need? We, we have the problem, you know, and again, some of you are like Matthew, some of you are like the Pharisees. You're like, I don't, I don't really need it. I'm fine. You know, I'm a good person. I vote, pay my taxes, send my kids to school, do my, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, I'm not as bad as, as Putin, not as bad as Hitler. We always compare to the worst we can think of. And that's fine, you may not be, but God ain't comparing you to Putin and Hitler. He's comparing you to himself and you fall way short and so do I. And that's why you gotta see your need. That's why you gotta come empty-handed and say, I'm sick, I need forgiveness for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So which are you? You're one of the three. It's your story or you're the Pharisee or you're Matthew. And I would say this, God is drawing you to himself because you're here. Maybe someone rooked you into getting here. Maybe grandma made you come, but you're here. And you're here because God loves you and is pursuing you. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. Draw near to him, he will draw near to you. All you gotta do is come empty, come sick. Say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, what he has done, who he is and what he has done. Scripture promises you will be saved. And he will forgive you of your sins and he will give you his spirit and make you new. And the, that is the abundant life. Not gonna make all your problems go away. Not on this side of heaven. You may not even get, you may not get healed. The paralytic gets healed, you may not get healed. Paralytic got healed, but he died again one day. But what he promises is eternal life, resurrection, 
being with you forever. What do you got to lose? This is why we go to the concert. It's why we celebrate. We have forgiveness of sins, newness of life, and a savior who is the friend of sinners. Let me pray, and we'll stand and we'll sing. Father, I thank you for the reminder of uh, these truths, simple but profound, that we are loved by you, not because we've done anything, but what you have done. And so I ask for wherever the people are in this room that you've brought, or even in second service and first service today, I mean, thousands of people have come through these doors and you are drawing men and women to yourself because you love the world so much that you gave your son that whoever believes in you will not perish but have eternal life. And so if that's our story, Lord, let us celebrate and rejoice and find comfort. If it's not, let's humble ourselves, recognize our need for a savior and forgiveness of sins. It's found only in Christ, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to you, Father, except through him. For there is no other name under heaven by which men are saved. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. You guys stand and we'll sing.